Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with the greatest professional wrestling podcast east of the Mississippi. That's right, Getting Over is back to break down everything that has gone down in WWE over the last few days. SmackDown, Raw, everything in between, you know we're here to break it all down for you. Before we get into the show, a quick reminder to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Of course, you can follow me, the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam, and my co-host today, Chris Vanini, at Chris Vanini. Also, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop us that five-star rating and review. The reviews have been coming in hot and fast. They have been fantastic. I greatly appreciate everyone who takes 30 to 60 seconds out of their day to go ahead and do that. The more you rate and review the show five stars, not multiple times, obviously you guys can only do it once, but the more people who go and do it, the five-star rating and review, the higher we rank in Apple Podcasts for professional wrestling. As I said last week, folks, I was absolutely floored with all of you who decided to contribute to the show. First purchase is already in, and hopefully you're hearing it because my P's, T's, and S's are coming through a lot clearer on the microphone. So audio quality should be about 20% improved for today's show. And going forward, there are still some other products and equipment that I will be purchasing. Have not yet decided exactly which, but they will be coming sooner than later. And again, for those of you who did contribute more than $10, please send me a DM at Getting Overcast, or if you prefer to email us, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Tell me your name, tell me the amount that you contributed. That way I can make sure you get all of the bonus content you deserve. Venmo does not tell me anything other than your name. So I can't contact you to say, hey, here's when the chat's gonna be. Uh, you know, Tell me what segments you have interest in. I'm not gonna be able to reach out to you if you don't give me that information. I will do a deadline of next Thursday. So we have another week and a half for you to get me all of that. I want to make sure everyone who contributed gets what they deserve. As I said, there were so many of you who contributed. In fact, 35. I couldn't believe it. I went back and counted. 35 people contributed. And as I said, we absolutely blew away our goal. So as promised, I'm going to open today's show. And we have plenty to talk about in the world of WWE. But I'm going to open it up with the thank yous. Anthony Brown, Omar Gonzalez, Chad Plasinka, James Farino. I'm going to screw up some of these names. It's just going to happen. Danny Mason, Brian Farkas, Zach Dravashek, Atish Tawari, and Adam, who doesn't want his last name listed, Jeremy Rice, Tim Laffin, Craig Cheney, Kevin Lewis, Josh Martin, Thomas Schreier, Mike Preeb, Michael Smith, Sean McDermott, Brendan McDonald, Robert Reed, Nick Flynn, Daniel Greer, Dave, also no last name, Arlo Smith, Michael Callahan, Casey Newton, Jeremy Smith, Adam X. Parsons, Steve, no last name, Aaron Schoenfield, Mary Guzman, Jason Jeter, who bought me a growler of beer, by the way. I got an apple pie caramel cream ale from my favorite brewery here, Due South, Kyle Collins, and Brian Sneffen. Thank you guys so much for contributing to the show. Chris Vanini is here with me to break down everything that happened over the last couple of days and really the last week in the world of WWE. And after all I put you through in today's intro, I'm not going to waste any more time. We're going to jump into the main event. 
So, Chris, I don't really know where to start this week because unlike the last, I don't know, it seems like three months, there's been this big overriding story for us to open the WWE shows about. As such, I just feel like I need to bitch and complain to open today's show. So we're going to talk about Extreme Rules becoming Extreme Rules Horror Show and now becoming the horror show at Extreme Rules. I don't like it, Bailey. I just don't. Okay, it's stupid. We've gone over it really last week, so I don't want to harp on the name too much. But it's kind of one thing to give a subtitle to a pay-per-view. And we've seen it, you know, climb the corporate ladder and some of the other other things they've done in your house was famous for NXT TakeOver before they used to go by city names. They had individual names and most of them are fine. But they're calling this thing the horror show. And it's not October, so it doesn't really fit with like a Halloween type of theme where I could totally buy into it. And there's nothing, there's not a House of Horrors match. There's nothing really thematic that fits the name of this pay-per-view other than a Wyatt Swamp fight and something we'll talk about in a little bit, an eye for an eye match, which yeah, I guess could be horrific, but it's not a horror show. So look, man, the name sucks. The new graphic sucks, not just from an aesthetic standpoint, the red clashing with the green and the purple, but it's ugly. So for me, Chris, again, when it comes to the name of this show, straight up. Zero point zero. Yeah, I I don't know what's going on here. Also, I would like to thank those uh, people who donated to the podcast as well. Uh, I appreciate it. You're not really bent like. You're going to benefit because the, the quality of the podcast is going to sound better. But <laughs> when I said to you, hey, what do you need? You're like, I, I have a microphone, really good microphone. I'm pretty set. So I'm like, all right. I am pretty set. But I always appreciate the support. Appreciate the tweets. Uh, always appreciate the support uh, Adam gets as well and having me on. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of talked about this last week. If you want to call it the horror show, like after you implement some horror type matches, I get it. It made no sense to do it so prematurely it makes no sense to do it on raw when the swamp fights on smackdown it's just weird and you know when, when it came out with the the the, the neon green and, and purple logos we thought oh maybe it's gonna be like jeff hardy themed right maybe he'll have a big match or something that's clearly not the case we'll get to jeff hardy i'm sure at some point in this um and it's just weird. Again, it's just another one of those things that it draws unnecessary attention, especially the way they say it out loud every time, not talking the way normal people talk. Right. Uh, it's just like it's just a, it's it's a little thing, but it's a like an annoying little thing. Yeah, but it's those little things that matter in the grand scheme. A lot of sure. little things add up to big things like not have not tying a certain storyline in when fans know better is a little thing, but when you compound those over and over again with WWE, that's where things really start to be annoying. It's like, look, they actually kind of did something good here. They changed the logo, which it was always that X and it was written really strange with words on one side. And it, it just was never a good logo. So they changed it up. And yeah, I know the W's in the middle and people will get on, get on that, but okay. The color scheme wise, it was really clearly about Jeff Hardy. And, you know, I do ultimately think that there will be a Jeff Hardy match, maybe just a straight up extreme rules match on the show but you're kind of being led in one direction and then it's kind of just like someone in marketing was like you know what we're gonna call this the horror show because there's a swamp fight and uh, like 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 i can't even fathom 
the thought process that went into this. And, you know, there's so much more actual wrestling to talk about. So I don't want to stick on the name too much. But the Extreme Rules pay-per-view over the last two years or two versions of it, I guess, has really been down in the dumps. Um, this year, as of today, as of this podcast, there's two stipulation matches so far. One of them is a swamp fight, which fine cinematic. We're in a special era. I'm not going to really criticize that. I don't like the name of it. Why it's swamp fight. I think it's stupid when you can just call it a swamp fight. But nevertheless, it's been pretty decent built beyond that. So they, we have a swamp fight, which, okay. And now you have an eye for an eye match, which we'll talk about separately. But I have no idea how that's going to work. You look at last year's Extreme Rules. All they had was a no-holds-barred match with Taker and Roman Reigns against Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. And then the last man standing match between Strowman and Lashley. I think there was a handicap match. There was some other stuff. But it was not an Extreme Rules pay-per-view where you normally get an Extreme Rules match, a tables match, a chairs match, uh, maybe a I quit match. You know, you get stipulations that are legitimately extreme. And now they're running the event again. And yeah, trust me, eye for an eye is definitely extreme if they actually go to the length that we think they might, you know, kayfabed or not, faked out or not. The idea of removing someone's eye is, yeah, that's extreme. Okay, no, no doubt. Um, but the pay-per-view doesn't feel built up the way that extreme rules as a pay-per-view is supposed to be. You know how it goes over the years, right? There's feuds going on, and then like three weeks out from the pay-per-view, someone just randomly pulls a kendo stick out from under the ring and uses it, and then eventually there's a kendo stick match. So, uh, there's a couple chairs laying around somewhere. Someone gets hit into them. Someone does a concerto. Now there's a chairs match. And, and I know that in some ways that's corny, but at least you're delivering the stipulations that the name of the pay-per-view promised. Imagine if you had a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view without Hell in a Cell. That's kind of what I look at Extreme Rules like over the last two years. And it does seem like we will be headed in this direction. It does seem... We're probably going to get a chairs match. We do have eye for an eye. I do think Jeff Hardy and Sheamus, if it happens, will be an extreme rules match. But we're less than 14 days away from this pay-per-view. And really, the main thing to talk about is the terrible name. Yeah, it, I don't like I generally don't like the concept of extreme rules anyway. It takes away, you know, the, the value of a stipulation because there's technically supposed to be a stipulation anyway. Like it, it doesn't feel like you're taking it up a notch by adding a stipulation because it was already going to happen on the calendar. The, the only thing, you know, if it was if it's going to be themed like this, and I kind of feel the same about Hell in a Cell. It, it, Impact TNA had that uh, pay-per-view. I don't remember what it was called, but it was the six sides of steel and every match is a cage match. And it's like if you're going to do these themed pay-per-views, I feel like that's the only way to do it where it kind of at least makes sense sense it doesn't it, it just feels weird to have all these different stipulations that just happen to pop up because extreme rules is is coming out unless you're going to make them all extreme rules matches so it's just kind of weird how it all comes together I, I i agree but yes talking about the name on top of that does not help extreme rules is unique because there is an extreme rules match but i don't think you can just have that match for every match on the card and when you look at hell in a cell even though WWE, again in recent years, hasn't really delivered Hell in the Cell the way we expect it, where it's a title on the line or a number one contendership for a world title. They had a tag team one. They had a couple different ones. So, but at least they're giving us two Hell in a Cell matches. So they're still delivering on the name of the pay-per-view. 
this just feels strange. Again, last year, Extreme Rules was a, I mean, the, the Taker Reigns and Shane Drew match, that was a really good match. So I'm not saying it was a bad show altogether. It was also in the opener, I think, right? I don't even remember when that was. It might have been, but it, it totally delivered. I mean, it was, it, it, it so exceeded expectations that I don't even remember the rest of the show and whether it was good or not. That match was so good that it just made the show, basically. But this year, again, it's just, I, I don't feel like it's extreme. Calling it the horror show makes it corny and stupid. And when you have a Raw like you had on Monday night, and really WWE TV like you have had recently, which in this PC era has been a bit more serious. Yeah, there's been some corny stuff and it's comedy just like any wrestling is. But, you know, promos like Heath Slater cut and the way Sasha Banks and Bailey have been telling their story and, you know, some other things, you know, Becky Lynch announcing she's pregnant, real life. Uh, wrestling's felt a little bit more real than it has in a good time. So for them to then come out and call this not just Extreme Rules Horror Show, but Horror Show at Extreme Rules. And that is going to be a horror show. <laughs> How do you like that, huh? I just don't like it, Bailey. I just don't. Now that said, we do have two matches announced for this card that, I mean, there's more than two announced, but two in particular that I want to talk about here that are interesting. We have the Wyatt Swamp fight again, don't like the name, but I would be lying if I told if I didn't say I loved the promo work and the vignette and the way they have been promoting this. You know, ultimately, I don't think it's going to be that different from something like an Ultimate Deletion or a Boneyard match or some of the things that WWE has done to this point. But I mean, look, they are in Florida and there are swamps throughout Florida, so I do believe they will be holding this in a real swamp. Uh, there's some near Orlando. There's certainly some in the Everglades if they come down you know, to South Florida. I have really high expectations for this, not just because it's cinematic and because it's Wyatt, but I mean, clearly they are headed towards the fiend against Braun Strowman at SummerSlam. So this is the logical next step. And the fact that they're giving Wyatt that third personality, which honestly, I didn't really expect he would get. I kind of thought that was in the past and wouldn't get brought up again. It's kind of freshened up the Bray Wyatt character where not that it was getting stale, but it was getting to the point where we know what the Fiend's going to do. We know what the Firefly Funhouse character is going to do. Now we have the cult leader again, and I'm interested in it legitimately. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to stretch out a Bray Wyatt feud, this is a way to do it. And it, it makes perfect sense to do it with Braun. Now, not having, you know, uh, uh, Rowan and, and, and his other folks still there anymore. You kind of have to move past that. And there, there would have been maybe a chance to do some, you know, singles or tag matches to kind of extend it in the ring. But it, it, it's been pretty good. Bray is the, the cult leader. You know, that, that that's what made him a star in the first place. Everybody fell in love with that character and everything he was doing. They didn't pull the trigger on him at WrestleMania 30. And we kind of retold that story at, at WrestleMania this year. So it makes perfect sense for the cult leader to come back right now uh, because Bray as a whole is is it just has a lot of momentum, even losing as regular Mr. Rogers, Bray Wyatt. And yeah, the promo work's been great. You know, that that's what Bray has always been so good at. And, you know, between the Firefly Funhouse and the Fiend, you didn't really get you really didn't get him doing those kind of long winded, poetic type of promos anymore. And now you do. And 
you know, they clearly have a lot of footage back, you know, in the archives that they're able to pull up for this. And uh, it's been pretty good. You know, I, I, I wasn't I didn't love the build to their previous fight, but I, I have enjoyed the build here. Certainly, this is far beyond what the first matchup between them is. And I certainly think it is that nice catapult to the Fiend. Look, in terms of Bray Wyatt. Oh, what a little freak. What a weirdo. Yeah, he's a freak. He's a weirdo. Let him be a freak and a weirdo. And that's what they're giving us. So I'm a big fan of it. Now, the other match just happened Monday night. Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio. We're finally getting them in the ring together. And we're getting it in an eye versus I match. Now, there was a lot of weirdness to me to this multi-segment affair that we got on Monday night, starting with Rey Mysterio being medically cleared for a TV match instead of being medically cleared, cleared for the pay-per-view, yet still wearing an eye patch, which is supposedly the reason his eye, why he was not medically cleared. So that just screwed me up. Then you had the KO show segment with Seth Rollins. And I think it's fair to say that the talk show type of segments, the formats in this PC era don't really work as well as they do in front of fans. I mean, look, wrestling in general, we want fans, but a lot of stuff really falls flat. And I think MVP in the VIP lounge, that works. But Miz TV and the KO show to this point, at least for me, they're falling flat. There's a lot of comments they like to make under their breath that while you have the crowd reacting and, and you can kind of get those through, it's fine. But like Kevin interrupted Seth a hundred times in that segment and it just got annoying and distracting. It wasn't really something that got me excited about seeing both of them in the ring. Kevin Owens, granted, he has decided or he had decided for a period of time not to wrestle and not be with WWE while they weren't testing. Totally cool, totally his decision. But because of that, he's gone in and out and not really had any solid type of role uh, over the last couple of months. He, he came in and kind of propped up Apollo Crews and then departed and now came in and he's kind of moving this storyline forward. But it's like, you know what? Why didn't they just have Aleister Black wrestle that match? Why did they need Kevin Owens there? I just think the entire thing was kind of rough around the edges for me to the point where I don't think it landed as well as it would have if it was just thought through a little bit better. Yeah, it, it was Mysterio being there was weird. Uh, I, I did like, you know, I did like the finish to the match when Alistair Black comes out and Rollins immediately runs up to him and it's like, hit me, because then I get to determine the stipulation for the match. That was like such a smart thing that like a normal person would do in real life and, and black couldn't hit him. It was kind of like kind of madness going around at the end, like all sorts of stuff going on. But I like the idea of that. And it worked out later in the match. Bailey didn't do that when Nikki cross came at her and she was like trying to back away while the rest took her away. Seth, Seth just being like, Hey, go ahead and hit me get disqualified. So I win. Uh, it, it was like, it was another little thing that I liked, but it also cost him because he was too focused on that. They end up losing the match because he's not paying attention the other way. So I liked how that worked. Um, but it, it, it's kind of like uh, announcing an eye for an eye match when you have no idea what it is. I, I don't get what the point of that is. It's like when they announced the boneyard match and we're like, what's a boneyard. So it, it takes away whatever emotion you're trying to get across 
by announcing this stipulation when the only reaction is what does that even mean? Does the loser get to lose an eyeball or is it like a hair for like you shave someone's head? You're just going to take out their eyeball. I, I don't know. So instead of being like, oh, man, I, I'm excited. There's a lot of you know, animosity here. I can't wait to see them get in the ring. You're just asking yourself questions like what the hell does this mean? No, that's exactly how I feel. Uh, I did like to finish the match for the same reasons you said. And by the way, it wasn't just Aleister Black that he did that with. Earlier in the match, he did that with Dominic. So first he mm -hmm. tried to get Dominic to cost his father the match, and then he tried to get Aleister Black. I think the difference is heels usually want to win, right? Of course, they, everyone wants to win. But in this case, there was a stipulation on the line. So Rollins didn't just want to win the match he or, or have the match end so he didn't have to fight Rey Mysterio. He wasn't trying to just be a chicken shit. He wanted to win so he could get the stipulation as fast as possible. Uh, so that is why that made a little bit more sense here versus the Bailey and Nikki Cross type of situation. Sure. But, but regardless of that, I did like it. It spoke to what you would perceive to be the strength of Rollins' group that they needed four people for the faces to win that match. So you needed Aleister Black, Dominic, Mysteri you know, Rey Mysterio, and then Kevin Owens just for them to kind of get Rollins in a situation where their team would lose. But there's only two of them now. I mean, Austin Theory's not there. We don't know why. We don't know if it's coronavirus related. We don't know if it's accusation related. Um, AOP, is one of them's injured. So they're not around. So this group that we were all excited about um, that was doing really good work, by the way, and it's still good. Rollins and Murphy together are still good. But I mean, <laughs> we were at a point where it looked like we were getting factions in WWE. Like it, it really looked like they were building something up. Zelina Vega was going to have four or five people. And granted, I know Austin changed sides, Austin Theory. So that's different. But uh, and then MVP, you're like, oh, my God, he's going to start recruiting people. And now it's just twos and threes again. And it's it's exactly where it's always been in WWE. And that's that's disappointing to me. But getting I, to I, I wonder if that is just they can't count on everybody always being available. I, I, I it's just a thought with, with everything that's maybe. happening, people coming in and out. Maybe, that, but I mean, they haven't had factions for years. I mean, sure. No, no, no. I mean, we, we've talked plenty about how much we like that. There's, there's a total resistance. It's so funny that WWE has such a resistance to factions when factions are part of not the main thing, but part of what helped them win the ratings were with WCW in the Attitude Era. And, and you know what today is? Uh, July today 7th. Is <laughs> today is the 24th anniversary of the formation of the NWO. They're okay. But again, see, NWO, another situation that kind of started as three, but I then know, evolved but into saying. a, but, but no, 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 but you're right. Evolved into a faction. And the NWO is what gave WCW the ratings win largely, not, not solely, obviously Sting, Goldberg, DDP, but NWO was the driving force behind that. And when WWE had to counter, certainly Austin was big and, and The Rock, but the rock started where in Nation of Domination and Degeneration X was big as well. I mean, hell, they had like Los Bariquas and they had a couple others as well that I kind of enjoyed. DOA was one, if, if memory serves. So, man, I don't know. I've just always been a faction guy, but I'm a little disappointed that it kind of looked like it was going to happen. And then it quickly dissipated on Raw in particular. But get, getting back to this, I versus I match. This is really what we're talking about. I mean, there's no way this is good, right? Like. I, I, no one's going to get their eye removed. I, I don't know. I don't, yeah. No one's going to get their eye removed. And if they do kayfabe that, because they do have, they can do industrial light and magic stuff. They are in Orlando. That, you know, they've proven with Boneyard Match they can do some unique things. 
if they try to kayfabe it, it's going to be bad because A, whoever loses that eye in kayfabe, at some point they're going to have to have two eyes again. Okay, so well, how's that going to work? You can pull, you can pull a, a Thor in Avengers uh, Endgame when he gets the eye from Rocket. You can just pretend that he got a fake eye and he's a just back with two eyes. Yeah, he's just got a bionic eye now forever. And for Rey Mysterio, he already has one eye shut. Now, my assumption is by the time the match comes, he pulls the patch off. Fine. Um, pulls, the, uh, pulls the Moxley. But, yeah, Moxley. But I just... I don't see any way this is not bad as a stipulation because usually in a stipulation match, there is the climax, right? So an I quit match, the person says I quit. Submission match, someone taps out. Extreme rules, it's a pinfall or submission, obviously. You know, there are certain matches where that climax isn't exciting. And we talked about it at WrestleMania, last man standing matches. When someone's counting to 10 and it's more just a relief that it's over. Um... Tables matches sometimes. Sometimes you get, you know, a powerbomb through a table and it's a really exciting end. Sometimes the big show steps on a table. And by the way, that is a good finish. I think that was a match against Cody and it's underrated because it was just unique and big show's face really sold it in that circumstance. But I think you're getting the point where that I'm trying to make, which is that sometimes you can have a stipulation match where the climax taking something off of a pole isn't really exciting or isn't as exciting as a normal finish otherwise would be. And my other issue with this is that this should be a blow off. This whole feud is has surrounded, yeah, Rey Mysterio's eye and, and, and Rollins trying to permanently injure him. It feels to me like they took a match that maybe they had decided to do at SummerSlam and are instead doing it now, whereas you want the payoff to be at SummerSlam because clearly they're going to fight again at SummerSlam. I can't imagine either of them getting in a new feud so quickly to have a match at SummerSlam. So it just feels like this should have been a wrestling match that Rollins wins because he tries to go after Dominic's eye and Mysterio stops him and then comes back in, eats a stomp and loses. And then Rey Mysterio challenges him for an eye versus eye match at SummerSlam. It seems like they called this thing the horror show and they're like, you know what? No, we got to do this match now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you you could have just done it unsanctioned and, and Mysterio's threatening he's going to take out Rollins' eye or something like that. I, I don't know. Again, my, my, my biggest thing is just I want to know what the stipulation means, and I'm wondering if they're going to explain it to us before the match happens. I mean, look, we got another match that we're, we don't even, we're not even going to know the stipulation into the pay-per-view, but we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, I guess that was a main event topic after all. Extreme, rule, extreme Rules, the horror show, the horror show at Extreme Rules, uh, 0.0 for me, but... You know, I guess there's stuff to talk about, and I guess that's positive. Look, the rest of the card looks to be pretty good, and we will get to that, you know, when we do our ultimate preview for Extreme Rules, I guess, next Tuesday. Um, but right now, WWE, you know, I've been giving you a lot of benefit of doubt. I really have. WrestleMania, uh, Money in the Bank, you know, I may not have loved that match, but I gave him, you know, benefit of doubt about the pay-per-view backlash. Not this time. No, this time you need to win me over. Um I am not thrilled with the way this pay-per-view has been built for a pay-per-view that in this PC era, Chris, I really feel is easy. It's easy to do a stipulation pay-per-view in a in a in an era where fans are lacking and you just need to come up with ideas of to have unique type of matches. So far, it's like fives out of tens for these two. And I'm just not overly enthused about what's going on. Now I, I will say, I will say that I think the pay-per-views have been good. So they we'll have see. Been. We, we we have low expectations right now. 
We'll see in a couple weeks how it goes. I've had pretty high expectations, and like I said, given benefit of the doubt, and they have mostly delivered. TV and pay-per-view. So, but this one, you know, this one you have to win me over on, on that Sunday night, uh, July 19th. They're going to have to win me over. Uh, the other main event topic here is we have a new championship title. The United States Championship belt, the actual physical strap, has been unveiled, Chris. And look, this may counter popular opinion here. I really like it. I think it is absolutely gorgeous with one major exception, which we'll get to. But the use of the stars on top, the red and white stripes, the eagle in the middle and the WWE logo. I think the eagle also has a star on its chest. It's gold, it's silver, it's red, it's white. There isn't really much blue in terms of they don't have blue behind the stars, but I'm okay with that. It looks like you would want a United States championship to look. And man, I think it absolutely blows away the new Intercontinental Championship. It, it makes the U.S. title almost appear and feel more pre prestigious than the Intercontinental Championship is. And that kind of hurts me deep down as a long-term wrestling fan. But man, I love the look of this title. Of course, there is one major issue. It is the United States Championship, not the United States Championship. <laughs> and what we have on this damn title, it looks like those shirts that... You know, teams, MLB teams, NFL teams, college football teams, when they win a championship, a Super Bowl, a national championship, you get those shirts that have like the small team logo and the words champion, huge right in the middle of the shirt. This is what that looks like. I like the font. I like the idea that they have United States champion written out in red and blue. But I do not know how a graphic designer put this together or a belt designer put this together without making United States the dominant word and champion smaller, or at least them equal. Man, the, the title, if that was fixed and if that was proper, would be like a nine out of 10. Instead, it's kind of like a seven or a seven and a half out of 10. I know there are some people who hate it, man, but when you get the better angles of it, not in the weird performance center lights, I think it sparkles, I think it shines. This is one of the best redesigned titles the WWE has put out in a long, long time. Oh, yeah. It's not even a competition between that and the current Intercontinental title right now. It, it's I'm, I'm with you. It's like a seven, seven and a half. It's really good. It's close to being great. I, I like that. Uh, one, it, 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 it has stuff kind of sticking out. The old U.S. title that I think was the longest continuous design of any belt they've had for quite a while. That thing been around forever. It's like 17 years or something. Yeah, that thing, that thing just always yeah. looked like a toy. It, it yeah, looked like I a know. toy. It was small. This is bigger. I love the shape. Uh, it, it just, it looks better around someone's waist. You know, MVP wearing it with, with the suit on looks good. And, and you're right. I, I uh, Someone I know on Twitter, Andrew Hammond, said it looked like a conference championship hat. When you just when yeah, it's like it's yeah. so close to being like the one, but you know it's not the one. But maybe that's the point. You know, it's not the top championship belt. But uh, overall, big fan. I do think you're right about the lighting because of the design. You know, the lighting in the PC has been weird. You see it with the reflections off of the plexiglass and everything. Nothing looks quite sharp enough. I do think in a full arena, it'll be a little bit more toned down with the reflections. Well. Uh, you saw it. You saw it at the on the performance center ring when MVP had it there. the The lights when it was first unveiled made it look like look look champion is by far too big. We know it's too big, right? But 
given the lighting, it looked like the only thing on the title. When it was not under those lights and you saw yeah. it just how it regularly looks, it blends in a lot more than it did otherwise. But it's still like, I don't know, if that's font size 60, it should have been 30. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah, but but overall, big improvement. I mean, you compare it to the, you know, the TNT championship that just came out. I know that's not finished, but okay, that's, you that, know, that's a rough that's a rough looking belt. And I think I just I think WWE did a really really good job here. Yeah, I'm not gonna kind of describe the motion, but you know the motion that people make when they don't believe something, right? Uh, me doing the motion to the quote unquote TNT belt or TNT title is not finished. It's not finished. I agree, but you cannot finish that to make it look good. That when when that was unveiled, you're like, oh my god, that's a piece of shit. When this was unveiled, you're like, oh, uh, I don't, I'm not sure. But as soon as I saw the like it in the right, you know, lighting, I was like, man, this is extremely sharp. It grew on me. Yeah. And there's there's something a little strange. And we're gonna talk, by the way, about our top five current championships. We're gonna talk about that in, in a second. But what is your thought process on? whether titles should match. For example, if you look at UFC, and I don't know if you watch MMA at all, all of their titles are identical. They're really exactly the same. They just mean different things. One person's welterweight, one person's heavyweight, etc. In WWE, obviously the, the world title, the WWE championship, the universal championship, and the two women's titles are all identical, but with different color variants. If you look at NXT and NXT UK, pretty much the same thing with the world title or the, the men's title and the, and the women's title. And then obviously the North American championship looks totally different. And the tag team championships look different from the main title, but they're all in the same stratosphere of design as the NXT and the women's championship. In WWE right now, and AEW also, by the way, the T, let's start with AEW. The TNT and the women's title look nothing like the world championship, and even to some extent, the tag team title. In WWE, like I said, the men's and women's world titles all look the same. The tag team titles look nothing like those. Now the Intercontinental and United States look nothing like anything that they currently have. Do you like the idea of many titles looking different or do you think they should all be thematically tied together in some way? I, I think they need to be somewhat similar and i think you can do that with like side plays like, like i first got into wrestling in the wwf in the late 90s and all of those titles had had kind of similar side plating and belt formats the, the belts all look the same with the, the buttons aesthetic. and everything the, the aesthetic, aesthetic general, yeah, yeah. The, the, the front the front front of the belt they were all different but the rest of it kind of looked similar that that's kind of where i stand uh, you know, there was at one point, you know, Austin gets the belt and it's it's blue. There was that Intercontinental <laughs> Championship. It right. was purple. Uh, the European was green. They eventually made all those black. And I think it looked a lot better uh, in terms of the leather. Uh, so I, I do think there need, it needs to be somewhat similar. I don't I, I don't like I wouldn't want wrestling to do what UFC is doing. I get Agreed. why UFC does that because there's weight divisions and it's not like you're going to have different people generally moving way up and way down and fighting each other. So each one can stand on its own, I think. And I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case with, with, with pro wrestling, but I do think every belt should look prestigious and the old U S belt did not. The current IC belt does not. The TNT belt does not. You don't want it to look like a secondary title per se. 
Uh, and I think this U.S. belt does that. It, it looks it looks prestigious on its own, basically. It does. I, I mean, I think if you think about WWE in particular, the women's titles, I think, are perfect. They're both white strapped. One's blue for SmackDown, one's red for Raw. Very clear, very easy to know what they are. Then you have the women's tag team titles, which are a different design, but they look prestigious and they have a white strap. So, you know, it's the women's division. Yes. Okay. Those are good. It's where we, it's when we get to the men that things are confusing. I think I can kind of allow the, the way the WWE title and universal title look. They could theoretically do go the way of the women and have one be, uh, both of them be black straps, one with a blue background, one with a red background around the WWE. But if they don't want to do that, one being black and one being navy is okay. And certainly they kind of pay that off with the tag team titles where it's the same color or a similar color navy on SmackDown. But then on Raw, it's red, where there's now no other red title on Raw. So that is not even. And now we have the mid-card titles, which one's black and looks prestigious and looks like a classic WWE championship. And the other looks like the AEW Women's Championship, but bigger. The Intercontinental yeah. title, that's what it reminds me of. So... You know, I look at AEW's titles and I have, I don't, I, I like the world championship. I don't like any of the other ones. I look at WWE and I'm like, man, you guys have a lot of titles that are really good, but they're also just, just not. Also just, also just a lot of titles, period. A lot, a lot of titles, period. But they're not aesthetically tied together well. And, and if they can take the concept of this United States championship and expand it a little bit, I mean, re I would even redesign the IC to maybe look like that. And if you want to throw intercontinental in big letters right in the middle of it and change the eagle to a globe and, you know, the stars and stripes and the eagle make it a globe and some other stuff, I'm, I could kind of probably buy into that. But it's just things are so different and varied to me that I just wish there was a little bit more consistency. That's all. Yeah, they have the consistency at the top, uh, but 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 elsewhere it kind of changes. All right. Now, before we're going to talk about. MVP unveiling the title and everything that happened on Raw with it. But you mentioned to me that you thought it would be interesting if we broke down our five favorite championship title designs that are active right now in professional wrestling. I'm going to let, since it was your idea, I'm going to let you go first. Give me your top five in order. Uh, I, yeah, I'm a big belt guy. I texted you last night. I was like, I want to do something on this. It was a good chance to do something. So I'm, I'm going to go uh, top five current active uh, By the way, I'm very, I'm very curious if we have any of the same ones in our top five, but go ahead. I am too. Uh, so we're just doing current active across all of wrestling, right? Correct. All right. I'm going to go five to one. Number five, AEW tag team belts. I don't like them individually, but I think they work as a pair. It, it's pretty clear what they are. I like the design. I think it's simple enough. It works when you see the two of them together. Number four, the North American belt. I'm not a huge fan of the strap, but I do like the the the, the idea of the belt, the the front of it, and, and all that. Uh, so it looks it looks like a prestigious belt on its own, separate from NXT, like I said before. Number three, the AEW World Title, which is technically not a world title because it hasn't been defended outside <laughs> of the United States. Just gonna, it's sure. fair. Sure. Number two, the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Okay. And Ten number gold. Yep. Okay. And number one, the WWE championship. I, re I oh. really, I really like it. I think it looks great in all situations. It's big. It looks good. If you're wearing it with street clothes, it's, 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 it sets itself apart from 
all the other WWE belts and that it's it's black and pretty simple what it was. I, I, I know, you know, they made this belt in part because, you know, when Aaron Rodgers won the Super Bowl and he was up there with the World Heavyweight Championship and nobody knew what it was, WWE wanted to get their brand out there and now they give these belts out to every sports team that wins. But I, I think it's, it, it's when you see it, it's clear what it is. And I, I think it just, it looks good. I like the, the black, uh, just, I, I like everything about it. I, I really have to give them credit for their main title. I, I, I don't like the blue universal title. I thought the red universal title was okay. I just I, think, it, I just think it grew on you. That's all. It, it, it did. It did. It did. And, and then the women's we just talked about, uh, makes sense for what it is. Red and blue, it's fine. But I think the black main WWE championship and continuing to call it that too, not calling it a, a Raw or SmackDown belt. Uh, I think they've kept up the prestige of it. So that's my number one. I, I very much did like the idea of calling one WWE and one Universal because it is the WWE Universe. So I liked the idea of that. Also, you, you do... The, the word that you think of when you think of the WWE championship is world championship. So ideally you have a world and a universe. I'm fine with that. I've always liked it. Uh, the color scheme for it. Like I said, I kind of just wish it was a black title, but the background was different depending on what brand it was on. But I don't know the, the Navy because it is Navy. It's not really a bright blue. Like the red was a pretty bright red. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't bother me that much. I don't think it looks sharp, but at the same time, I don't hate it. So I hated the universal championship when it was red. Hated it. Um, so we had a lot of similar ones. I was pretty hmm. pretty impressed there. Uh, <laughs> not exactly the same, but pretty pretty close. So my number five is the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. So the white New Japan Championship for the Intercontinental Division. Um, uh, people like the world title there, but there's too much. It's, it's too much for me. It's too gaudy. The gold and silver clash a lot. The Intercontinental title, despite how Tetsuya Naito treated it forever, it's really clean and simple. And considering the WWE Intercontinental Championship can't be on this list, which would have been number one if it was the old design. Um, I, I'm throwing that in at number five. Number four, the AEW Championship. I really like that title. Uh, I, by the way, I don't know if they actually do call it the World Championship. I think it's just the AEW Championship right now. I think some people may verbally call it that, but I don't know if that is the formal name of the title. But I thought they did a very good job, Tony Khan in particular, going back, reaching back into the past, grabbing a title that has those multiple type of panels and really wraps around and is really, it really says world champion, especially, especially when you hold it up next to their other titles, all of which I hate. I don't like the tag team. I don't like, I hate the women's. The women's may be the worst title that exists. And I obviously don't like the TNT either. WWE Championship comes in at number three for me. I didn't think it was going to be on your list. A lot of people hate the WWE Championship. I completely agree with you 100%. First of all, from a marketing standpoint, it's genius. Okay, you see that title, you know exactly what it is, you know what it represents, and it tells you it's WWE. Number two, I think it's sharp as hell. Mm -hmm. And WWE actually sent me one, not for me, it was for a charity thing we were doing for work and we, we gave it away. Or actually, I think someone bid on it. But I got to actually hold the WWE Championship, a real, like the expensive big replica that they sell in the shop. It is heavy. It's gorgeous. It sparkles. And yes, it tells you it's WWE, which is the point of the championship. You are the WWE champion, right? Like the Winged Eagle, look, Winged Eagle may be the greatest belt of all time in terms of a, a world championship, but 
This, to me, in all the changes the WWE's made, it's better than the spinner belt. It's better, it's better than the Stone Cold version that they made. The one that was blue, it's better than that. The one that was the scratch title that was maybe the precursor to this, it craps all over that. I really like the WWE Championship, and I think people are way too hard on it. Well, one thing, I, I, you mentioned multiple panels. I'm a big fan of two panels on the side, and that's one thing this, w, this WWE belt doesn't have that. I wish it did. It's the only thing I'd probably take away from it, but uh, you mentioned previously. I do like the double panels and on, I, on, on other belts, on the AEW belt. I also get, by the way, why WWE's gone to this whole Velcro thing, but they got to stop with the Velcro, especially when they take it off and you hear it. It's just, it's really annoying. Okay, yeah. number, number two is the North American Championship. Just a huge fan of the the concept of it, the way they presented it. Um, it's it's a bigger, thicker strap, so it just looks like it's more important. And if you're not going to go the way of the United States Championship, then doing something like the North American Championship, differentiating the strap and the design makes it feel like it is of a prominence that maybe the NXT tag team titles, especially now, it's kind of fallen off a little bit. Number one championship in WWE, or actually, I'm sorry, in wrestling right now. It's going to shock you, man. The NXT UK championship. It is absolutely gorgeous. If you were going to conceptualize a United Kingdom title, this is the championship you would design. The women's title is, is just like in WWE. It's a white strap, same version of it. It is gorgeous. Gorgeous. No, it could not have been designed better. If there was a competition ran and you got a thousand designs, it could not have been better than the NXT UK championship. And no, also, it, it is. It is. I've honestly, I've forgotten about that one. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it'd be in my top five, but it is very strong. And they also finally changed the name also to the NXT UK championship after it was still called the WWE UK title, despite it never being defended on regular WWE TV. So, the extra credit for that. Now, all of that said, dude, top five from you, top five for me, pretty good, pretty much aligned, not bad. This new US title, it's too new for me to list it. I need to see it over a couple months in different types of lighting used consistently. But it may very well crack my top five when all is said and done because the IWGP Intercontinental title, it's kind of just it was something I threw into the last spot because I didn't really have anything I loved. AEW championship, I do like, but this U.S. title could really come in at number three above the WWE championship or four above the AEW championship because outside of that one flaw, it's really otherwise perfect. Totally. And real quick, what's your favorite all-time belt? Mine's Big Eagle, WWF, late 90s. Um, It's either the Winged Eagle or the, the Intercontinental Championship from WWE that we have grown to love and it's probably if i had to buy one like if i actually had to spend the money to purchase a title if i could get the intercontinental championship with the black strap the one that razor ramon had Mm. that is my probably my favorite title of all time it's classic um it was the workers title in wwe the world title was great but i always associate the winged eagle title with bret hart and i'm no bret hart fan (laughs) i associate the intercontinental championship with razor ramon and Shawn Michaels, who are two of my favorite wrestlers of all time. So it would probably be that. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I, my only problem with the winged eagle is it's too small. I like the big eagle because it just it looks better aesthetically. But uh, yeah, so good belt talk. 
By the way, we were not supposed to do a 90-minute show today, yet 49 minutes or so into this show, we've only talked about the United States Championship and Extreme Rules Horror Show. So we're going to move on a little bit, but I do want to say um, I didn't love the presentation of this title, not because of the lighting or any of that, but I always feel like a champion should be awarded or should unveil the new title. It didn't make a lot of sense for me to me for MVP to unveil it because now if Apollo Crews retains the title at Extreme Rules, he'll be wearing MVP's title. Like think about what happened with Kofi Kingston. Uh, New Day had that title ready. So when Kofi won, they switched the titles. That's how I think you should do a title change or you're a champion that comes out and says, you know what, we're moving into the 21st century. I don't like this old title. I commissioned a new one. Here it is. That's maybe, maybe even MVP and Apollo Crews make a bet on their match. And it's like $10,000 and Apollo Crews wins. And he says, you know what? I'm not pocketing this money. I'm going to do something unique with it. Tune in Monday night. And then Monday night it unveils this new $10,000 United States championship. That's how I would have booked it. It, it, it was weird timing, but I think it was, I think it was fine. You know, MVP is the longest reigning U S champ. He's so confident he's going to win. He makes his own belt. Apollo say, let's say Apollo beats him and Apollo takes his belt from him and we move forward with that belt. I actually think it's, I think it's, it's a very heel thing to do to make your own belt and declare yourself the champion. And I think Apollo beating him and taking the championship belt, if that's what happens, uh, it, I, I, it works for me, actually. It just feels weird that he would win and then take MVP's new version of the title, which is not the one that Apollo won, right? So, like, like imagine Apollo Crews, like, holding both titles after the match and then dropping, you know, that one and taking MVP's. It just, I, I don't That's know. That's what I'm picking. It's weird. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, what you just explained, it works fine for me. Okay. All right. That's fine. Uh, I'm not loving, obviously, seeing Ricochet and Cedric Alexander lose, but... The fact that they're getting on TV now after a couple of weeks of not having been on TV, having good matches and segments, that is as important as being used well. The fact that, you know, they weren't being used at all previously. And it is pretty clear that they have plans to continue using them. So I know that is a, a low ceiling of expectation. But look, I just watched that Ricochet 365 documentary. I don't know if you saw it on WWE Network. I'll pause. Did you or no? I did not. Okay. So they just spend, they basically just tell us everything that went down over Ricochet's first 375 days, I think they did, um, in WWE. And it was honestly really impressive. Like he was US champion, big spot in the Royal Rumble, had a WWE championship match. Of course, we know how that turned out. Um, but then I thought as soon as it was over, I was like, man, that kind of ended in like February. What has he done since? And the answer is nothing. Clock at zero. He's done nothing since. So the fact that he's now getting on TV, being able to show his skill, and Cedric Alexander is as well, it at least gives me optimism and hope that they will be used a little bit more going forward. I thought it was a good idea on Monday night for MVP to wrestle in the suit, clearly not being ready for their challenge, just like in the show's opening segment, which we'll talk about in a moment. I really like the name Hurt Business for the partnership of Lashley and MVP. They said it. 18 times beat you over the head with it. So, you know, it's now officially the name. Uh, but if you're going to be called the hurt business or the hurting business, you need more members than just Lashley and MVP. So the recruitment of Cedric Alexander that I felt like that was a nice touch. If he actually flips at the end of the day on Ricochet, I could see it. Cedric being a heel that's unique. It's a little bit different. And obviously you would have Ricochet and Apollo Cruz who could potentially team up. Um, that works, but 
given all of that, it kind of makes me feel that Shelton Benjamin, when he was offered that opportunity, probably should already be there with MVP and Lashley. And they should probably have four or five people in that group. So I really don't know why it's just those two still, despite the fact that they had him with Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink. I didn't like that, but they already established it on television. Um, they had beaten Ricochet and, and I think Cedric Alexander last time we saw them. So I'm not exactly sure what's happening right now, but I do like Hurt in Business or the Hurt Business. And I think the MVP stuff, man, it just continues to work for me. Yep, I I, I like wrestling and we've had a lot of people wrestling in street clubs recently, and I, but I think it works. It feels real. We'll talk about, you know, Drew doing that in a minute. And um, yeah, just MVP just every week. One of the best on the show. We're actually going to talk about that right now because there's plenty else that went down in the world of WWE over the last week. And we still have a lot to get to here. Uh, so Dolph Ziggler in that opening segment decides to keep the stipulation for his WWE championship match at the horror show at Extreme Rules uh, secret. And if we're being honest, it's probably because WWE hasn't figured out what the stipulation is going to be yet. But despite that, I really like the idea of a heel using the element of surprise to his advantage. I'm sure it has happened before, but I honestly can't think of a time outside of a secret partner, like, you know, at the end of a show or at a pay-per-view or something. I like the idea that a heel is kind of saying, you know what? You screwed up. You gave me the opportunity to choose a stipulation. I'm going to wait and I'm going to spring it on you at the pay-per-view. That way you don't have time to prepare for the match and contemplate what you're going to do. So I just thought that was a, from a storyline standpoint, storytelling, I thought that was an A+. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it's it, it's weird that we have two things going on right now where someone's picking a stipulation and it kind of makes you wonder what the other one's going to do, the, the women's match. But um, uh, yeah, it makes sense. It was like, oh, hey, a heel doing a smart thing. Works for me. Yeah, for sure. And I, I saw some people didn't like that a heel finally got over on Drew, but man, Drew's been so dominant and so smart to this point against all of his opponents, Lashley, Lesnar, et cetera that Ziggler kind of working his way in and worming into Drew's mind, it, it works for me. It actually gives me reason to kind of believe in kayfabe, oh, you know, maybe Drew won't be prepared for this match, even though we know he's eventually going to win it. Um, but that kind of manifested itself in the opening segment with the return of Heath Slater. Uh, it was a really, really strong promo, mixing in reality and kayfabe, pointing out that he got fired just as McIntyre was champion and he wasn't there for him as champion, he didn't use any of his might to kind of save his job. I thought it made sense for Ziggler to bring Slater in to kind of play mind games with McIntyre. And then it made sense for McIntyre in the end to save his friend who was kind of used as a tool, you know, by Ziggler and kind of reunite as friends right before Slater left. And, you know, ultimately, I do not think Slater is back in WWE. I think that was evidenced a bit by his bow at the end of the segment, kind of saying, this is my swan song. But if that's the case, and I know WWE got a lot of shit for what they did with Drake Maverick over in NXT, but what I saw on a Monday night was WWE taking an employee who had been there over a decade and doing him a solid because they let him showcase his promo skills in, in the opening segment of a nationally televised show. And then at the end of that segment, they had their champion raise his hand. And if Heath Slater is going to TNA, or I guess it's Impact Wrestling, uh, if he's going to Impact Wrestling like a lot of people think he will, then he enters there with more momentum than he otherwise would have had. So I see no harm, no foul, and ultimately I think the opening segment delivered on Monday night. 
I, I texted you this last night. I think that's a candidate for promo of the year. No, I, I, I really did. The mixing in the, 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 like you said, mixing in the real stuff, the getting fired with, with the storyline, the history the two of them have, you know, it, it made me realize, wait a minute, I don't want to see Dolph and McIntyre fighting and Dolph bringing up their history together. He's got way more history with Heath Slater. And that single promo right there was like, wow, I want this to be the, the championship feud. Get Dolph out of here. I want to see Heath Slater there. And then just, I, I incredible promo. I, I, I was, it was great with it. I was over the moon. I mean, yeah. you obviously liked it, but I, I thought that was unbelievably captivating. I put it up there with anything Randy Orton's done. This nah, year. I, don't know. I would, I would. And then the match happens and it's not even a match. It, it you know, one kick and it's over and I've, it just really deflated me. And I was torn on one hand. It's Heath Slater. He's been presented as a joke this whole time. He shouldn't get anything in on Drew. On the other hand, I was so fired up after that promo. I wanted Heat to kind of put some doubt into Drew by maybe getting a, a false finish on him one or two times or surprising him. It doesn't have to be a 20-minute match, but just something. And, and you know, like I said, if Heat's going off to impact and doing whatever, I, I, I get it. But uh, I, I just really, I, I also like the finish. Like I said, I, I like him coming back and saving his friend. The only thing missing was I wanted... I wanted Jinder out there. I, I wanted the three and B reunion. This was our chance to get it close enough. You know, they put up the three fingers. Drew again, continues to look amazing in jeans and, and no shirt. <laughs> and, and it just, it really reminded me that Heath Slater is really talented and it's something Daniel Bryan tried to get over late. And it's something that we got when Heath and Rhino were in that tag team championship run on SmackDown, they were the first SmackDown Live champions and people really got behind them. You know, this was a reminder of just how good he is. You know, he brings up the, you know, I got kids, I need this job. That's not just a gimmick. That's my life thing. Man, that that tugs at your heartstrings and just amazing promo. Would have liked more from the match, but for what it was, really liked it. I just wouldn't like more of it. Yeah, I mean, if he was really a free agent and wasn't with Impact, which I think he will be, um, that may have hurt a little bit to kind of see him like that, but yeah, it was a, it was a really good promo. I think you're kidding yourself. If, if, if you think it compares to the best that edge and Orton, I think individually have done, I think, I think it it's, does. I think it's in that second tier with, uh, I think there was a Cody promo earlier this year that was pretty decent. I think it's in the second tier, but it doesn't matter. It was really good. Uh, Heath made himself look better and was given the opportunity to look better. By WWE, again, you got to give him a little bit of credit yep. um, than he has in years. And good for him for taking that opportunity and running with it, for sure. Uh, now, we do need to move on. Uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks just absolutely dominated Raw and SmackDown over the last couple days. And I don't really think there's any situation where it's going to slow down. These two have continued to hit on all cylinders on SmackDown. Uh, annoying, egotistical, just kind of completely entertaining. Uh, we all know how it's going to end eventually. And they're amazing playing off each other right now, both in the ring, certainly, and on the mic. And every week, I feel like we're getting a new element, despite them mostly doing the same thing. This week, there was a lot of interference. This week, Sasha turned it around on Bailey, not once, but twice, by putting her in a couple matches that she didn't otherwise want to be in, which, by the way, is what Bailey has been doing to Sasha Banks for months. Especially, uh, Bailey, I think, had a match with Alexa Bliss 
in street clothes on SmackDown out of nowhere, right? So I just think that completely worked for me. As far as that Bliss match itself, it was a rare occasion where I was totally cool with a disqualification. It was unnecessary for Bliss to take another loss. Bailey would have gained nothing by beating her. So I was just totally fine with it. Then over on Raw, you have Sasha Banks against Kyrie Sane. I didn't necessarily feel the same about a disqualification here. It was too good of a match to end that way, especially with Sane not needing to really be protected for any reason. Although I guess if you want to say, well, she just got murdered by Nia Jax a couple times and they're going to have a tag team match, then we don't want her to just lose straight up to Sasha Banks. I guess I can see that. Maybe I'm talking myself out of not liking that, but man, <laughs> Sasha Banks in that match. I'm the legit boss. I'm the standard. I'm the blueprint. I am the leader and I am the conversation. She really is. She is 100% in her prime. I feel like it's just the beginning. Maybe it started a little bit when she came back and had the feud with Becky Lynch. Sasha Banks right now, dare I say, with Becky out, she might be the best women's wrestler in the world. Um, it's, it's everything. It's the promos. It's the faces and the reactions to stuff that Bailey does. It's the stuff she does on social media. Uh, the gimmick, the, the <laughs> just tweaked little bit of a gimmick. The look, the blue hair, I think makes her look better just as a persona than the purple ever did. Her entrance in NXT, which I don't even know if you got to see, but holy crap, a great American bash. I talked about that on Thursday. Right now for me, man, Sasha Banks is number one with a bullet. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how or at least I was um, kind of annoyed with Charlotte showing up on every show and it just kind of being too much. I'm not getting too much Bailey and Sasha that they, they no. continue. They continue to be completely entertaining in everything they do. And this week added some new dynamics to it. It added, you know, Bailey losing. Uh, it, it added uh, uh, the Kabuki warriors being reunited. And by the way, the Kabuki warriors theme is so good. I yeah. loved Kari Usain playing it on the recorder. I, I like it more than the Asuka theme. I just, I want to hear that thing all the time. It's great. That's insane. The Asuka theme is better. I, I, I love the Kabuki Warriors theme. Um, yeah, it was just it, something I've noticed, I think, this week especially. When you've got Sasha and Bailey and Asuka and Kyrie working together and not with, you know, uh, a Dana Brooke or an Ajax or something, they can, they can really go. It feels like they've kind of been let loose to really just put on some great wrestling matches with people who have the same ability as them and can really tear the house down. We saw that in the main event match on raw. It, it feels like they are all bringing out the best of each other in this. Uh, what's been going on here, on here between these four, the last couple of weeks, there's truly a top tier when it comes to WWE's women's division. It is Sasha Banks, Bailey, Charlotte, Becky, Oscar, Kyrie Sane. that that's your list. And that's just a main roster NXT. There's obviously some really good good wrestlers as well. But there is a clear top tier. Um, and then there's kind of everyone else. And that is not to trash everyone else. Every, there are many other very good, very good women's wrestlers. But those six that I just named are, are among the greatest of all time. And the greatest yep. of all time may be in that list. We don't know who it is maybe yet, but... I mean, it could be Oscar. It very well might be Oscar. These but are few, these are mostly future Hall of Famers we're talking. They're, about. they're all all. I mean, maybe not Kyrie Sane, but the rest of them are future Hall of Famers. Yeah. The, the four horsewomen and Oscar will all be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Hell, look, Alexa Bliss is probably going to be in the WWE Hall of Fame too. But 
Yeah, they are. And they're Hall of Famers to the level of, and maybe even exceeding, Alondra Blaze, Trish Stratus, and Lita. I mean, this is the top tier of women's wrestling in the world right now. And, and it's main eventing shows. And I'm not thinking twice about it. Not that I would have the last couple of years, but it used to be unique. It used to be like, oh, wow, the Charlotte and Becky are going to main event Raw? Wow, I can't believe they're doing that. That's great. Now it's, I'm now it's like, I, I just kind of go through the rundown and I'm like, wait, they, did they just main event? Oh, that's awesome. You know, like you don't, you don't think about it. And yeah, of course, of course, a champion versus champion match is going to main event Raw, Asuka and Bailey. But like five years ago, not that they, I don't even remember when the dual women's titles existed, but when they first existed, that never would have happened. It just, it wouldn't have. Now no. you have two of the best wrestlers, women's wrestlers in the world, two of the best wrestlers period in the company having a damn good barn burner of a match in the main event of Raw. Great heel tag team work with Sasha. It looked like Asuka legit caught Bailey with that spinning back fist to the point that while Bailey was rec recovering, like Asuka gave her a nod to like make sure she was okay and could continue the match. Um, but it was hard hitting, exciting. They worked extremely well. It was one of Bailey's best matches in a long time. I didn't necessarily love that Nikki Cross was allowed on Raw, you know, the brand split and all that. Um, but at least they had security there to kind of explain it away, to pull mm -hmm. her away when she even got remotely involved. I would have rather had her do the finish as it existed, just popping up behind the glass. I think that would have been more fun and more exciting and more of a surprise to Bailey than having Nikki Cross at ringside for the five minutes that she was. But other than that, great main event. And now we have the women's tag team title match set up for next week. May well be the, the swan song for Kyrie Sane, but we're going to get all four of those women together. I am very excited for that. Yep. This is what the women's revolution was about to get, get us to this point. Absolutely. We also, to open, uh, I talked about the opening of Raw, but the opening of SmackDown, dude, Matt Riddle. Uh, I want to talk about this just briefly. Look, I like Riddle a lot and I like him as a promo also. I know that was scripted. I felt like he did a as good of a job as you can do with a promo that was scripted like that. I do not think an in-ring interview segment with over-the-top Michael Cole is the way to get Matt Riddle over. But despite all of that, and despite Riddle doing a pretty decent job, we got a match between Matt Riddle and John Morrison that I never knew I wanted, and now I want to see again and again. It was an absolutely fantastic showcase for Riddle. Both guys looked incredible. It was a great quality for a TV match. They gave it 15 minutes. And now we have Riddle, who has started. He's had basically had two matches in WWE main roster. And he has two victories against former mid-card and tag team champions. Yeah, I, I, the interview promo stuff was a little weird. They're going way over the top with the bro stuff. Um, the, that's the, what the, he does though. I mean, I get, I say, I don't watch NXT every week. I know it's a part of his thing. It just, I've gotten a sense that they're in typical main roster WWE form. They're pushing it to 11, like right off the bat. I don't know. Maybe this is how much they always talk about it, but Here, here's like, the thing. Matt like Riddle, lot. Matt Riddle, just to give you a little background, he's legitimately goofy in terms yeah, of, no, I know, I know. I'm aware of him and I've seen him a handful of times. I'm just saying week to week. It seems like they're really pushing like the bro branding as he got to, but it's fine. The, the way to get him over, I mean, the way to get him over is to put him in front of a crowd. Crowds absolutely eat him up. And, and you can tell how big of a deal he is 
when that happens. And when they had the invasion a couple of years ago, you could tell there. But without that, the only way to get him over, I think, is to put on matches like he had with Morrison. Yeah. Just great stuff like that. He, you don't want him to. You can have him talk and talk with other wrestlers and do that stuff. The Michael Cole stuff, I just was not a, a fan of that. But if he's going to put on matches like that every week, you know, he'll get over real quick. I mean, people actively rebel against Michael Cole. Michael Cole is not the right person to do an interview segment to get someone over. Had they put him yeah. in Miz TV, despite me not loving, you know, how Miz TV has been. I said this earlier in the show. Had they put him there and it resulted in a match with John Morrison, that would have made total sense. His promo back and forth with Baron Corbin was totally fine. But I don't need Michael Cole like, oh my God, that story was crazy. I mean, look, he's telling a story about basically wearing chancletas and getting frostbite on his feet. Like, okay, it was, again, it, was, it wasn't it was good, um, but it also wasn't terrible. But I shouldn't be saying that about someone you're just introducing who opened up with a win over AJ Styles. It should be everything I do that we do with this guy right now is an absolute home run. Him talking to Michael Cole, telling a ridiculous story, not a home run. Match with John Morrison, back and forth with Baron Corbin, both home runs. Um, Intercontinental Championship on SmackDown. AJ Styles defended his title pretty dominantly, actually, over Drew Gulak. This was an interesting match because we really saw Styles, as I said, get over dominantly. Gulak showed his fight staying in it for a long time. But Styles was pretty brutal in his finish, hitting the Styles Clash and the Phenomenal Forearm. Now, it was obvious to me that Daniel Bryan wasn't going to be there. Obviously, Brie Bella, she's like a week or a couple of weeks away from giving birth. So him even taking the risk, testing or not, didn't make a lot of sense. I don't expect him to be there going forward either. Um, but having him do the Zoom calls, commentary during the nice mat, during the match, it was a really nice touch for me. I, I thought it was just something unique that you don't normally see. And it added a, little, a, a level of care where I actually gave a crap about this match where I like Drew Gulak a lot, but I, you know he's not going to win the title off AJ Styles. And because Styles was so dominant throughout, it would have really gotten boring had you not had that Daniel Bryan element in there. But you had the Bryan element. You had AJ Styles go over strong. I thought it was a win. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I guess I wouldn't describe AJ as, as dominant as, as maybe you would. But I, like, I got a sense from that finish. I don't know. I, I took it two ways. I took it one... AJ felt like he needed to put Gulak down with two finishers because it had been a hard fought match or whatever, or AJ needed to overcompensate for last week and really put a stamp on somebody. I think there's maybe two different ways you could read that. The, the reason he went to two finishers for the finish, but it made me think about it. And I think that's good. That's good storytelling. I mean, just, just frankly, whichever one it was, because now AJ's got some doubt in his mind and I, I think it's worked. I felt it was completely frustration from Gulak being so such a fighting challenger yeah. in the match and also him out of frustration and being pissed off mm -hmm. at Daniel Bryan for the long-term storyline. I, I just think he he hit him with the side slash. He could have pinned him. He, mm -hmm. he waited. It felt like five minutes for him to stand up and hit him with the phenomenal forearm. It really just felt dominant. It was, I am going to beat you solidly. And that, that's all I felt. But I mean, whatever. I, I Look, you want champions to look dominant and get big wins like that. So I thought they succeeded with it with AJ. Another good match, by the way, on SmackDown, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Kofi Kingston kind of came in out of nowhere. You know, since they wanted Nakamura to win, as I kind of said with the opening match, I'm glad they give, gave the significant time, just like with Matt Riddle and John Morrison. Kofi is not someone who should be beaten easily. 
as an ex-WWE champion and a current tag team champion. I like that this was clean with Cesaro and Big E both ejected from ringside. I thought it was a little bit strange that Cole and Corey Graves both missed a clear Kinshasa. He just called it a running knee. No, it was Kinshasa. He just, he didn't gear up to do it, but it was still the same. It was still a finisher. Um, But now we have this title match, tag team title match next week, and it seems pretty unnecessary for them to give us the title match next week when they made it pretty clear that they're going to go wind up doing a tables match at Extreme Rules. Yeah, that that was weird as well. I, I I mean, it also you know, the typical trope of oh, someone pinned one half of the tag team champions and momentum and and whatever. But again, if you're gonna have a really good match, I can I can accept it, and and that's basically what we got on SmackDown. And then it is weird to have a, a tag match title match right before the pay per view. You wonder if there's gonna be shenanigans. I I, I guess we'll kind of wait and see. I'm I'm skeptical that they'll just straight up follow through with it, but who knows. Okay, now with the Seamus toast of Jeff Hardy, I think we can start out here by saying, first of all, it's pretty obvious Seamus has coronavirus. Now, they pushed the segment last week, they pushed it to this week, and then had him do it via Zoom over the Titantron, as opposed to have him be in person. You could say it's because he's a coward. I I don't think that was the actual reason in a storyline perspective. Um, So if that is the case, I hope he is asymptomatic, I hope he gets healthy, and I hope he distances and is able to come back in two weeks, presumably, for the pay-per-view. Beyond that, I don't really have much to say because the segment sucked. Um, I found value, as we discussed, in the accident DUI angle. I found value in the piss cup angle. Both of them entertained me in different ways. I thought people overreacted to the former. Apparently, some people didn't like the piss cups thing, but it wasn't a big reaction. I enjoyed both of them. This was not only pointless, it was poorly done. And it was more insulting that you would physically try to force someone or convince someone who is an alcoholic to drink than simply try to frame them for a DUI. So this to me, I don't I, I dropped the soundboard here. I got to pick it back up because I want to make sure I get the right sound here. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. I'm really just using that because the piss cup angle, but 0.0. Shame on them for thinking this might be good. Yeah, it. This continue the the car the car the DUI thing I was I could understand the criticism of it I like the idea of trying something different uh, but it has just kind of continued to trend downward basically since that point for me just the toast to 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 end the SmackDown to end the episode on that as well oh just, yeah just awful not not how you want to go home with it just just an awful ending to the show I mean I would have rather them tease the Riddle match and had Riddle Morrison be the main event it would have been fine. But or even Nakamura and uh, and Kofi with the tables, maybe you do a table spot at the end. You send, you know, you send people home interested in what, what's going to come of that wrong segment to even hold wrong segment to end the show. I get they're trying to push Jeff Hardy really strong. I know he's eventually going to come out on top either here or at WrestleMania or at uh, SummerSlam in August. But that can't come soon enough. I'm done. I'm, I'm officially done with it. Yeah. By the way, uh, this just popped up. The Rey Mysterio Seth Rollins match on WWE.com, it says a winner can only be determined by extracting the opponent's eye. So that goes right back to what I was talking about. They're going to kayfabe it and they're going to use a prosthetic and some type of crap. And it's just stupid because at some point the person is going to need an eye. How how long is Seth Rollins going to go without an eye or an eye dangling from his skull? Um, it It's corny. It's corny and gimmicky, and I don't like it. I, I am fine if Bionic Eye is in our future. 
Yeah, it's just, it's not for me. It's not the type of wrestling I like. Uh, Randy Orton, Andrade, and Angel Garza defeated Big Show and the Viking Raiders. My only real takeaway was I loved Orton in the backstage segment, kind of laying down the law for Andrade and Angel Garza. And then before commercial break, basically scaring Garza shitless at ringside, like being the old school veteran um, who kind of doesn't want them to screw things up for him. I thought that was pretty cool. Match was fine. Orton looked strong. Eric sold the hell out of that RKO. Great sales job on that. And then following that up, the backstage segment with R-Truth kind of sizing up Ric Flair and Orton like redirecting Akira Tozawa away and having respect for R-Truth. I popped for that. So ultimately, in a week that was kind of a down week for Randy Orton, obviously they're, they're trying to waste a little time until they set up the Big Show match. I thought it was a home run for Orton, R-Truth, and Tozawa. That was maybe the most fun I've had with them too. It just it kind of popped me the way they did that. Yeah, I, it, it, was, it was kind of a... Uh, another thing for Orton, it worked fine. I, I like, I always like when different stories are mixing together. Uh, the only thing is, this is another loss for the Viking Raiders after we went through all that uh, to kind of apparently go nowhere with them. So it kind of feels like a waste. I did like the idea, though, that when Big Show slapped them on the chest, they got really serious really quick. Mm-hmm. And maybe they have something where they kind of they're goofy and they go to the ring and they get hit or they get surprised and then they get serious and start being dominant again. So Something like that could be interesting as a gimmick where, you know, you're happy go lucky. Kind of, you know what? I hate to kind of say it. It's kind of like Eugene. You remember that character? Yeah. Where he he had, you know, the issues and that, you know, not the issues. I'm not going to get into it, but he was the character that he was. But then once he started wrestling, he was just a technician and he was dominant. Something like that along those lines, not the same thing, obviously, but for the Viking Raiders where you know, they're happy-go-lucky and then all of a sudden can get serious pretty quickly, that could work. And it could show both sides of their personality. So It, look, it hey, could. I mean, I don't think they're going to go down that far. Me neither. I, I, Pritchard's track record with tag teams here tells me there's not really anything going anywhere with it. But it's, it's just kind of disappointing to see uh, to see them. The last couple weeks, you know, we went through a month of Viking Raiders three profits and now they're just nothing. Yeah, and now the profits aren't there and the tag team feud we thought we might be getting may be delayed. And again, that maybe tells you something about the status of the Street Profits. We will find out sooner than later. We'll wrap up really quick. Billy Kay defeating Ruby Riot. Uh, I know people want Ruby Riot to win matches. I don't have an issue with this. The Iconics just came back. They're still being built up. They're, they have been strong and, they, and they've looked strong. They've been very good on the mic. Clearly sets up a reunion of sorts with Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot as a tag team. And ultimately, man... I think Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot are going to take the titles off Sasha Banks and Bailey. It, it feels like that's where they're building. I, again, for weeks, we haven't known what the Liv Morgan thing is supposed to be. Maybe they just put her back in the tag team Riot Squad type deal and they go forward with that. But uh, yeah, we'll see. All right. Now we're going to get out of here on this. We're going to break down everything that is supposed to happen Wednesday night on NXT Great American Bash and AEW Fighter Fest, NXT going into this with back-to-back overall ratings wins. NXT, I'll cover it because Chris does not watch. You can yell at him for that on Twitter as much as you want. He deserves criticism for it. Uh, we have a street fight between Mia Yim and Candice LeRae. Kind of had enough of this feud, but as a street fight, it does provide a level of interest to the match. Curious to see what happens. We have Legato Del Fantasma against Drake Maverick and Brizango. You guys heard on our Thursday show what I felt about this. Brizango doesn't get me you know, interested. And I think NXT's kind of set itself up for a ratings loss, largely because there's not a lot built on this card, except for the main event title versus 
title champion versus champion, Adam Cole defending the NXT Championship against Keith Lee, who will be defending the North American Championship. I have to imagine. And by the way, I absolutely nailed the ratings last week on NXT AEW on the segments that were ultimately going to win. I have to imagine Cole and Keith Lee do win the main event. I have to think it's a double segment, 30-minute match. So the final two quarter hours, I think, will go to NXT. But the rest of the card, Chris, AEW Fighter Fest, not exactly what we hoped for night two, but it is very, very strong and in many ways superior with the exception of the main event. We have FTR and the Young Bucks uh, against the Lucha Bros, Butcher and Blade in an eight-man tag team match, a little bit strange. Colt Cabana, Brody Lee, and Stu Grayson against SCU in a six-man tag. Again, not a great match, but those are undercards. Now we're going to get to the main card itself. Nyla Rose against TBA. So maybe a surprise debut for an AEW women's wrestler. That would be interesting. Lance Archer against Joey Janela should be a good match. Tag team title match, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defending against Private Party. And then the new main event for AEW Fighter Fest, Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. So what are you looking forward to on this show? Looking forward to Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. I liked Jericho on, on commentary last week. Um, just two guys who are kind of just wacky, and I, I think it'll be good stuff. Really looking forward to maybe some different things to try with that. And then the the eight-man tag. You know, FTR Young Bucks will get to that at some point. I'm expecting all sorts of flips and stuff. I, I'm curious how that dynamic works. Seeing FTR in a match with the Young Bucks and with uh, the Lucha Brothers and everything they're going to try to do. And I'm curious if they have any reaction to that as it's going on in the match. Um, but but that's about it. I don't ex- the tag team title match, you know, since they're not having a world title match because uh, Mox is away. Match should be fun. I'm not expecting much out of it. I was looking forward more to the best friends match last week, which I thought was really good and was the main event of, of night one. I, I think you're right that NXT will win the final quarter hours in the ratings because simply they don't have a world title match. But uh, I, I, I'm curious how a couple other things play out and just more kind of how it affects things moving forward necessarily than a specific outcome. Yeah, I mean, AEW kind of got hurt here just because of what happened with Moxley. Obviously, that was going to be a huge main. Yeah. Uh, and Jericho Cassidy being the co-main would have been that would have really delivered them a strong mm-hmm. final 30 or actually probably final hour to go head to head with NXT. I don't know if it would have beat Cole and Dream. Uh, sorry, not Cole and Dream. Cole and Keith Lee, because that is a very, very super strong main event. But, you know, now that I kind of have gone through this AEW card, I will say it's not as strong as I thought it was. Those first two matches, an eight man and a six man. OK, yeah, there's people in them that people like. But I mean, they don't they're not it's not a title on the line. They're not really important. Nyla Rose is good. But again, the TBA it does interest me. I don't know if it's going to interest viewers. I think Lance Archer, Joey Janela can be a very good match. The tag team match, I, again, I don't think that Omega and Paige lose the titles, despite the fact that they're defending them for what feels like the fourth time in four weeks. Uh, but those two, being the caliber wrestlers they are against Private Party, being exceedingly entertaining, and Matt Hardy, assuming, you know, I'm going to assume he's at ringside, the dynamic of that could be very interesting. And Jericho Orange Cassidy, they've worked off each other extremely well. So it is a legitimate main event, and it is something to be excited about. I just don't really know if it's going to beat NXT. Um, That main event is really going to be strong, but NXT has not done itself favors for the rest of its show, only announcing two matches and neither of those matches being particularly exciting. 
Um, it's going to be curious to see what they do. And it's going to be curious to see what they do next week when AEW now is coming up with Fight for the Fallen um, yeah. with Moxley and Cage as the main event. And NXT, I cannot imagine them doing another thematic show to counter-program, but they can definitely give us the Io Shirai, Asuka, Bailey, Sasha Banks match two weeks from now. That could definitely happen. And if they do that, that is a very, very strong head-to-head main event. But that is it for today. That was our breakdown of what's to come Wednesday night between NXT and AEW. Catch the full breakdown of that on Thursday show. I appreciate everyone listening to today's show as we broke down everything that happened recently in WWE. We will be back next Tuesday to do that with our ultimate preview of the horror show at Extreme Rules. That may be a horror show. The Getting Over Wrestling podcast most certainly is not. So for Chris Vanini, who you can follow on Twitter at Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, who you can follow on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. Of course, follow the show at Getting Overcast. And there's one other person who wants to say something before we head out of here. Elizabeth, come on out oh, oh. We got something going that's oh, really big. Oh, yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going, yeah. We into the twilight zone, yeah. And how Kogan's got no chance, does he? No. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man right no. now? Am no. I the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived? Why? Okay, say goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, get out of here. Oh, that's right a little now. rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Yo, Hulk Hogan, that I will. I thank you, Randy Savage. Thank you all for listening. I will talk to you Thursday. Bye for now.